in times of suffering, people sometimes wonder if there are times, circumstances, when God is with us and circumstances when he is not. In our readings this morning, we heard stories that described episodes of rage, accusation, disillusionment, and abandonment. Now, David was accused. Jesus was abandoned. Now, if we think about these stories from their perspectives, we can also recognize that, that both of them, to some degree, would have suffered at those times. When David was attacked by Shimei, most likely a, a kinsman of the late King Saul, David's companions saw no reason to tolerate this offensive behavior and voted to separate this guy from his head. But David didn't allow that. He suggested that there could indeed be some merit to these accusations, even some discipline that was coming David's way by the hand of God. And David was in a very tough place at that time. He'd been forced out of his own city. He was forced out of Jerusalem. His son's conspiracy threatened to destroy not only David's throne, but his very life. And now he was a man on the run, again, a refugee outside the, the perceived safety of the city. But his suffering was not just based in political intrigue. He would have suffered because the accusations were right. See, Shimei accused David of, of being a murderer and a scoundrel, he said. Now, he was probably referring to Saul's death, which did not come at David's hand. He was also probably talking about David's taking the throne, Saul's former throne. After all, Shimei was speaking on behalf of the clan, the family, the loyal followers of Saul. But as David fled Jerusalem, the, the words would still have stung. David indeed had been a murderer and a scoundrel. He had stolen another man's wife and facilitated the man's death. David wouldn't allow the execution of his accuser, as though in doing so, the words would just magically become unimportant and untrue. The painful words might just have been the word of God, and David received them without an act of vengeance. Well, whether or not Shimei's words were truly divinely inspired. We do learn if we read the story further down that he actually repents of his words and asks David to forgive him, and David does do that. The words would still have reminded David of all that he had done, all that he had experienced, all the actions and forces that had shaped his life, bringing him right to this desperate point in his own history. David had indeed, through his past actions, brought suffering to other people, and now he was experiencing again suffering for himself. It would have been very easy for him to cast blame on Saul's loyalists, on his own son perhaps, and then vent his anger at this crazy accuser. But instead, David sort of took it on the chin, as they say. In his suffering, he just lay himself before God. Eugene Peterson comments on this text. He says, David left, let the suffering bring him into the presence of the God of mercy and grace and love. You know, everyone suffers at some point in their life. I think we probably understand that. The suffering may be the result of trauma or loss or, or sickness. It, uh, it may be merely a perception that's generated by fear and expressed as anxiety. Regardless, the suffering is real to the sufferer, no matter the source. And it isn't uncommon for people to wonder about God in the midst of suffering. 
I have heard people call out this kind of frustrated prayer and say, God, what are you doing? But behind that question, there are some other questions. Questions like, is God the author of my suffering? Certainly David wondered that. Is God absent or even powerless in my suffering? Is God bringing this about in order to teach me something, a lesson that I need to learn? Am I being punished in my suffering? Is this the consequence of my actions? Do I deserve this? Those questions lie behind that. And they're age-old questions. They're nothing new. The entire Old Testament book of Job is devoted to these questions and yet ultimately ends without any clear and final answers, except basically God saying, I'm God and you are not. And we're still asking those questions today. Well, David never quite goes there. For him, those were probably the wrong questions to ask in the first place. Instead, he let all the possibilities remain open and unanswered, and he placed himself before God. For David, the right question was not, God, what are you doing? The right question was, God, how will I respond to you in my suffering? Now, David knew that he was certainly guilty of all the charges filed against him, maybe not in the way that Shimei intended, but he was guilty nonetheless. But he also knew that he had repented and he had suffered the consequences of his infidelity, his murder. But even so, he let go of blame, he let go of retaliation, and he opened himself up to God's presence. I was once apprehended by the police with some of my friends. It was probably good that it happened because it diverted me from a future life of crime after all, I was eight years old. And uh, who knows what dark adventures lie ahead. Uh, it was a Saturday. My friends had gone to our schoolyard to play back in the days when kids were allowed to do that sort of thing unsupervised. And there were some other kids there, and we connected and were goofing around. And one of them said, hey, uh, I know how to get up on the roof of the school. Now, this was an old 50s-era school with flat roofs and single story, and uh, he told us this, and we thought, this is brilliant. We got to do this. And so he took us to this little secret place that we could shinny up one of the poles that held up the covered walkway and get it on the roof of our school. Uh, and we ran all over it. We cavorted like wild animals. And, and, and it was glorious. We could see our classrooms and our playground from a height that we could only imagine in the past. And imagine the termination of our joy when we heard the booming voice of the policeman down below who we had not seen drive up in his patrol car as he was driving through the local neighborhoods. And he demanded, of course, that we get off that roof and come see him. I, I thought of running, but thought surely he will shoot me. That would be bad. <laughs> so we obeyed, and uh, we were absolutely terrified. Um, I, I thought, will he cuff us? Will we be taken downtown where we will be beaten with hoses. I, I didn't even know what was about to happen to me. But he gave us a very stern lecture about our bad behavior, our dangerous actions, and I sort of hoped it would end there, but no, 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 it got even worse. He took down our names, and he promised us that on Monday he would be speaking to our principal. And I knew, without a doubt, that on Monday my life would end. So I ran home, two blocks to my house, then crying through my wretched tears, I confessed my evil sins to my mother, who was home at the time, and she listened to my, my woeful story and suggested the policeman was probably right in getting us off the roof. After all, we could have gotten hurt. Uh, I was certainly less concerned about the dangers of my escapade than I was having my fate resting in the hands of a low-level school employee who could dispense corporate, 
corporal punishment on a whim and without restraint back in the day. Nevertheless, my, my mother still embraced me. She did not condemn me. And the weekend dragged by. I don't think I slept. Uh, when Monday came, I expected to see armed prison guards standing on each side of the door just waiting for me to arrive so they could haul me off. But there weren't any such things, and I spent the rest of the day in deep anxiety. Uh, every time my teacher's phone rang on the wall like they used to have, I would jump thinking this is the call, and it wasn't, and it wasn't, and it wasn't. And the day came to an end. The last bell rang, and I had not been summoned to my doom. I realized as I conferred with my colleagues of darkness <laughs> that... Uh, the police officer probably never intended to snitch on us to our principal. He was happy to let us languish in psychological anguish for an entire <laughs> weekend, thinking that would be a sufficient price to pay for our evil deeds. And it was. But you know, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the truth of my guilt, I was up on that roof, no doubt about it, I knew that I was safe in the hands of my parents. They were the ones who, in the long run, really mattered to me at, at, at eight years old. So no matter the, the punishment I might receive from the local authorities, a punishment that might be deserved, surely, I was confident in the acceptance and the love of my mother and father, even though they would have to stand back, and if there was punishment to be had, they would have to allow it to take place. They would not have control over that. David was confident in the acceptance and the love of God. He recognized his own sins, and, and regardless of the price that he had already paid, he left himself open and vulnerable to the God he loved and trusted. And David was truthful about his life. And speaking truthfully is often risky. The truth can bring consequences, even when the truth is not about our own failures. The truth can produce difficult consequences when it simply runs counter to what people already believe. And that's what Jesus ran into. Things have been going pretty well. Uh, people were responding to his words. He was building an expanding group of, of disciples, people who were following him. Now, if that were to happen in our context in the United States today, we would think that that gathered group was awesome and we would want to buy a new facility and pave a new parking lot and do all the things that you do to accommodate the growth. That wasn't even on Jesus' radar, of course. He instead invited his followers as they gathered in increasing numbers to see him in an entirely new way to see him not just as a sharp-minded rabbi and an effective wonder worker, but instead as the very embodiment of God's sustaining love and care. Their ancestors, generations ago, had consumed manna and quail and water when they wandered in the wilderness, all these things provided by God to keep them alive in the wilderness. And now Jesus offered himself to them as the one God had now provided to bring them life. Well... This proved to be too much for many of his followers. And the crowd began to disperse. They began to leave him until only the original disciples remained. And it appears that they were the only ones that even caught a hint of the words of eternal life when Jesus spoke. And even so, they must have been troubled by the departure of the others. It can be easy for us to imagine Jesus being kind of dispassionate about this as if losing all those people just really didn't matter to him. But there's a sense of disappointment in Jesus' words when he speaks to his friends and says, do you also wish to go away? Are, are, are you gonna leave me too? As Jesus drew people toward the love, the desires, and the intentions of God, the more 
they got nervous and started to pull away. And it's easy to assume that, that Jesus would have been hurt by that, even brokenhearted by the loss. Well, suffering because of truth is to pay a price for doing the right thing. We hear stories about this. Uh, uh, a corporate executive might refuse to support unethical practices in the, worst, in the workplace and a career is destroyed. A woman confronts a husband when she discovers his infidelities and a marriage is wiped out. Christian leaders refuse to be co-opted by their governments and end up being ostracized or penalized for their actions. And suffering comes to us at all angles, and most of us do not revel in suffering. And I'm willing to bet that a number of us, me included, have wondered where God was in the mess we found ourselves in, in the pain that is so common in our world. We might have asked all of those questions that seek to understand the source and the purpose of our anguish. And because we live in a cultural context where the vision of the good life frames suffering as an aberration or as something deserved or as a condition that can just be treated by advanced medical technology, it might be easy for us to see suffering as a kind of demonic interloper in an otherwise painless Christian life. But we have to acknowledge that suffering is woven into the fabric of all of human life. And how we respond to it is a function of how we are formed. Years ago, when I was first exploring the seasons of the church year, the, the church calendar, which was new to me a uh, long time ago, I was really curious about the season of ordinary time, the season we're in now that will conclude in a couple of weeks. All the other seasons had, had drama and color and expectation, but, but ordinary time, which is the longest of all the seasons of the church year, just sort of went on and on and on. And I wondered if our ancient church fathers just ran out of ideas and thought, well, let's give people a break for half a year, you know, relax a while. But I've come to realize that in this ordinary time, these days that are ordered one after the other, we're really no longer sort of protected by the frameworks of the other seasons of Advent and Christmas and on and on and on. But we're now thrust into the world where our formation in Christ is now challenged by our immersion in the dramas of life. I think it's significant that in our culture at least, that ordinary time includes our summer recreational opportunities as well as the ramping up of the fall and winter holidays. It's truly a consumeristic heyday when lives are formed by all kinds of competing cultural habits and liturgies. It's also a time when we remember that all the realities of human life, including suffering, come within the ordinariness of our existence. As ones being formed by the Spirit of God, we find ourselves faced with the pain that comes in this life, just like everyone else. But in turning our faces to God in worship, we trust our lives, whether in joy or sorrow or comfort or suffering, to the one we believe has always loved us, the one who has always present with us, always. You know, through his time in the wilderness and his very painful experiences of sin and consequence, David was formed as a man of worship. After the loss of the child born to him by his affair with Bathsheba, David submitted himself immediately to God in worship. And even as Shimei's stones and violent words pummeled David, he continued to give his life over to the God who had always been with him. Jesus' own life formation allowed him to speak difficult words 
of truth to people, resulting in the, in the loss of popularity and prestige that would have been seen as a sign of his success, even in that day. He was the one who claimed that he only did what his heavenly father was doing. And he was deeply formed by that intimate relationship. His full submission to God the Father removed the fear of loss, but it also opened it himself up to his ultimate suffering and even his death. You know, as Beth pointed out earlier, our unceasing news sources on our various devices cause us to hear and read about human suffering on a daily, if not hourly, if not every minute basis. And it seems like too much. It seems too commonplace, too ordinary. But maybe we're also in this time having our eyes opened up to the terrifying ordinariness of human suffering. Some of that information touches on our own personal pains, reminding us of the, of the frailty and the vulnerability that's woven into our everyday lives. But we're not being formed as the people with all the answers. We are being formed as people whose first response to suffering, as with all things, whether it's our suffering or the suffering of others, that first response is worship. Turning our faces to the God who in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is with us and for us. It isn't as if our, our response in worship somehow erases our suffering because it, it doesn't, but it is the place where we begin and the place where we continually return to remember who we are. As we prepare ourselves to come to the table of Jesus today. We bring everything with us, don't we? Including our pain. Jesus knows that, and still the invitation is extended to every one of us. Regardless of our life circumstance, Jesus invites us to come and dine, to remember that he's with us always, that he knows fully what it means to suffer. And we bring all of that with us today. And we come with all that we have in worship. Amen.